following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Our reading today is taken from Mark 10, verses 35 to 52. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man named Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. Let me take you to the doctor's surgery. It might be round here or near you. The time is the present. The young GP peers at her monitor. She checks her earpiece and her microphone. She's wearing those blue pyjama-like things called scrubs we use in operating theatres. She smiles into the camera and waits for the person at the other end to connect by video. It's Mrs Smith and her daughter Sarah. Sarah has asthma. She's got a bit of a cough and Sarah's mum is worried. So what can I do for you today? asks the doctor. Well it's Sarah and her asthma. Ah. It's just a cough or she's got other symptoms, fever, lost her sense of taste or smell, anything else to worry you? No, just a bit wheezy. I can see that Sarah looks well, she looks perky and playful. Maybe we should just increase our inhalers for a few days and then let me know how it goes. Thank you doctor, that's very helpful. I'll let you know. And. As she finishes the call, Mrs Smith ponders those first words of the doctor. 
what can I do for you today? And thinks, well, surely the answer's obvious. Reassure me. Reassure me that all shall be well, that all manner of things shall be well. We live, as everyone seems to want to tell me, in extraordinary and unprecedented times. These times are indeed strange, they're scary, they make us anxious and worried. What was unimaginable just a few weeks ago is now normal. Our worlds have been turned upside down and we just crave some sense of security, of hope, of encouragement. So let's leave Sarah and her mum for a moment and travel back a bit further to the 14th century and meet Mother Julian of Norwich. Her life is very precarious too. There are plagues and all sorts of nasty illnesses around. She's a young woman and she knows that for her, her average life expectancy is 33 years and for a man, well, it's only 27 years in the 14th century. And Julian herself has been in a very dark place. And she wrote those words from her deathbed, as it were, all things shall be well and all manner of things shall be well, she wrote. A bit like our own intensive care unit, she was facing the prospect of dying and those around her despaired for her. The last rites had been administered they didn't think she would recover. Now, by God's grace, she did, and she went on to live for many years. But nevertheless, what she wrote, she wrote when she thought she was dying, and she knew that God was listening. But this is actually what she wrote, because it's actually Jesus who reassures her in her tough position. She said this, but Jesus, who in this vision informed me of all that I needed, answered by this word and said, Sin is inevitable, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. So it is Jesus in her vision who answers her need and gives her hope. It is Jesus who makes all things well. Now, let me take you back even further, back to the first century in Palestine. We find ourselves on the road going up to Jerusalem with Jesus. It's our reading from the Gospel of Mark, there at the end of chapter 10, verses 35 to 42. And here also we've been conscious, if we've been connecting to it, of that question of Jesus. It happens twice during this passage, or passages. Well, what do you want me to do for you today? We find it in verses 36 and 51 of Mark chapter 10. And like the young GP, Jesus faces all sorts of problems on a daily basis. Some he meets are sick, some very sick, some near to death, and even those who've actually died. And here we find him on the way up to Jerusalem for the last time to face his death. 
He must be preoccupied by this final showdown, by all that the next days will mean to him. A growing sense of anxiety, perhaps, of a darkness coming in, of not knowing quite how it's going to end, in what way it will finish. Some commentators have called this final journey up to Jerusalem his death march. This going up to Jerusalem, where his fate will be sealed. Now we read that two disciples, who are actually two of his closest friends, the brothers James and John, the sons of thunder, begin to take him to one side. They want to ask him something. Now, where is Peter? Peter is usually with them. There are normally three of them, but he seems to be absent. Jesus has been nobbled by the two brothers and they want him to himself. But what is it they can want at this serious moment? Perhaps they want to ask how that might serve him better and support him as the pressures mount as he enters his next critical phase of his life and ministry. So, when Jesus responds to their question, what do you want me to do for you today? Maybe they're looking for reassurance that they won't fail him. Indeed, that all will be well. So one wonders how Jesus reacted initially when they asked this question. Please, they ask. When you come into your glory, Jesus, let us sit one at your right hand and one at your left. In that great celebratory banquet when you are crowned the king of all. And one wonders how long Jesus took to answer. You don't know what you're asking. Perhaps they'd thought to die some glorious death. As Jewish revolutionaries, perhaps remembering the times of the revolutionaries of the Maccabean times in the previous century or two, when they tried to throw out the Romans before and others who'd come to invade their territories. Maybe they thought that was the glorious end they were facing. Or perhaps they just wanted to be celebrities, have greater status and importance and power as best friends of Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel we hear there and read that it was the mother of James and John who asked Jesus to make her sons the special ones. But here Mark doesn't say that. He puts this question into the mouths of one or both of the brothers. Make us special, they say. And Jesus has to remind them what that would mean. It would mean following him to the cross, following him to a way of suffering and difficulty and alienation and loss, and were they really up for that? When the other disciples hear about this, they, of course, are furious, and maybe a bit envious that James and John had the courage to ask when they might have done the same. And so for the third time in his Gospel, Mark sets out what lies ahead for Jesus in these coming days. And no one could doubt how serious this final journey was and what lay ahead for Jesus in these difficult and dangerous times. And then the account in Mark moves on. The disciples with Jesus continue their journey up to Jerusalem and at some speed they come up to the town of Jericho 
and start to go beyond it to the next part of the road. It's a big group. There's Jesus, then there are the twelve. There are other disciples and followers and also a ragbag of hangers-on who want to join in with all that's going on. They push through the streets and begun to come out the other side of the town. And then somewhere around the place a voice is calling out. A voice of a man by the roadside. We can't see him. Where is he? He's crying and they want to shut him up. Oh, we're far too busy for the likes of you, they start to say. And then they get more interested in him. He keeps crying out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we see in verse 49 that Jesus stops. And of course the rest then come to a juddering halt as what's going on, they say, why is he stopped? And Jesus turns to this man whose name we hear is Bartimaeus. And Jesus, the great physician, poses that same GP question. So, what do you want me to do for you today? In verse 51. And Bartimaeus, bless him, takes this question seriously. He's not being dismissed as just another blind beggar by the roadside, but this rabbi seems interested in me. So I get up quickly. I jump up, in fact, and throw off my clock and go to him. Find my way with help to him. To the question, what can I do for you? He says very simply, Rabbi, I want to see. And in that moment, Jesus heals him. Go, he says, your faith has healed you. And you can now see and he follows Jesus and goes up to Jerusalem with him. He becomes a new disciple. So I've painted four scenarios or vignettes or little stories, some historical and some to some degree made up. The made up one of course is my GP friend who does day in day out those video consultations as well as all the other things. And the three from history reminders of the 14th century and 1st century Palestine. Three involve the need for some form of healing, for meeting the deepest of needs physically, for breathing problems for little Sarah and her asthma, for the dying wish and thoughts of Mother Julian, and for the blind Bartimaeus. Sarah and her mother want to know this asthma is going to be okay, the treatment will work and if not the doctors will help. Mother Julian wants to know that whatever happens, God is good and will be with her into eternity. And for Bartimaeus, he's willing to give up his life as a blind beggar, depending on others, to become liberated and new and fresh, seeing and working and living for Jesus. We know his name and when we look at the other versions of this story in Matthew and Luke, they are silent on his name which makes one wonder whether Bartimaeus became someone rather special in the early church that Mark founded. Maybe he was a key leader, and this story reminds us of that. He knew that Jesus was the son of David, the Messiah, and in receiving his sight he knows he's entering the new kingdom as a forgiven sinner. In fact, that word, to heal, can mean to save. 
Indeed, when Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you, Tom Wright and others translate, go, your faith has saved you, since the Greek word can mean heal or save. So it's nice to hold that tension for Bartimaeus, both healed and saved, saved and healed. Which leaves us with those fourth scenario folk, the brothers, the sons of thunder, James and John. It's, I think, easy to be critical of them. And we can understand why the other disciples complained. Who are they, they say, to push themselves forward? And Jesus refuses to keep his fate secret at this point. Can you drink, he says, the cup I drink? Or be baptised with the baptism I am to be baptised with, in verse 38. Jesus knows what the future holds for him, and he wonders whether his disciples can follow. Yet this episode ends with the most profound words of Jesus, perhaps, in the whole of the Gospel. It's a startling move as he moves us, too, to that place of true discipleship, that calling to serve others. Last week there was a very good interview on the Radio 4 programme with a young doctor who had uh, left a hospital just for a few days because she wanted to join in with the Easter vigils and joys of the Holy Week and Easter of the Orthodox Church, which of course celebrated their Easter a week after ours last Sunday, as it were. She talked of her calling to be a young doctor in hospital, of her recent joining the Orthodox Church and of her sadness at not being involved in their services. She reminded of so movingly of those so many folk committed to serving others in all sorts of places, in the public service and private service, in care homes and hospitals and so on. It was a wonderful moment to hear her faith shining out as she spoke on the radio. And she seemed to say that she knew whatever happened, that all things shall be well, that God is good, that all manner of things shall be well. So let's hope and pray we can follow her example. I think at the moment we're learning to be better citizens, better neighbours, maybe better family members and friends. These dark days can bring out the best of us. Let's pray that it continues, that what we're learning now and gaining won't be lost as we pray things improve over time, although suddenly it may take a bit of time for us to return to normality, whatever that is, the new normal that we talk about. So maybe to end with those words of Jesus, his new manifesto, his startling manifesto, at the end, verses 43 and 45 of that passage with James and John. Jesus said this, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The Son of Man coming not to be served, but to serve. A wonderful example, our Jesus. So to that question that Jesus poses, what do you want me to do for you today? Maybe like John Kennedy, we can turn that round and say not what you want for us, Lord, but rather what we can do for you, how we can seek to be your servant and serve our neighbours, for Jesus' sake. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.